Hey everyone, welcome back to My Movie Story. It's Brian here, your host, and we're here for another episode. Uh, if this is your first time on My Movie Story with us, uh, welcome and thanks for checking us out. Uh, we're about 11 or 12 episodes into our show now, so uh, it's it's going well. And if you've been watching us so far, you'll see that each episode is, is different because it's all about the guest and their films and the stories behind those films. Yeah, so uh, my guest today is Bob Reutblatt. Uh, he's based in the Chicago area of Illinois in America, and he's worked professionally as a medical doctor, a lawyer, and a hitman, but as a film and television actor, so just to reassure everyone there. <laughs> and Bob has appeared in over 60 TV shows and feature films, often portraying a villain, uh, and he's also been to federal prison three times but as a speaker. So, you know, again, <laughs> he's worn many hats, but in the form of a speaker or a film and television actor. So I'm sure he's got lots of interesting stories there. Uh, and in real life, Bob is a serial entrepreneur and an innovator and having started and led 12 different companies and uh, from a wireless internet company to a software training company to several medical imaging centers. So he's worn lots of different hats, lots of different experience in many areas. Uh, and sure, he'll have a lot of a lot to say on all on all of those topics. And you can check him out online. We'll we'll get him to tell us a little bit about his speaking, and we can share the links to his um, speaking uh, websites and YouTube channels and that sort of thing. But today we're talking about movies. Um, so welcome, Bob, to yes. my movie story. How are you? I am wonderful. Happy to be here talking about my favorite subject. Well, my second favorite. I'm my favorite, but movies is my number two. You're your favorite. Okay, excellent. Well, I understand. You're, <laughs> you're an interesting guy. You've, you've done a lot in your time. So <laughs> fantastic. And um, so, yeah, um, obviously a lot of different experiences there, Bob. So can you tell us a little yeah. bit more about your background and, and what you're doing now? And yeah, yeah. Tell, tell us your story. I grew up in a, in a small town called Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It's about, uh, I don't know, 110 kilometers north of Chicago. Yep. Small town. Very few people ever go to Hollywood. I always wanted to be a star when I started watching movies at a young age. But no one ever goes to Hollywood from Milwaukee. Then luckily, I, I, ha I had a break. I met some people and got into the movie business in my 20s and actually ended up doing a whole bunch of television shows. It was really what I've always wanted to do. I always wanted to be a star, but I don't have the warm voice. I'm not the love interest. You know, I'm not the hero of the story, but I got to hang out on movie sets and be in movies and TV shows. It was fun. And then after a while, I kind of got burned out knowing that I wasn't going to be the next Tom Cruise or <laughs> Taylor Swift or whatever. So I eventually left the movie industry. Uh, and now I'm a professional speaker. So I still travel around. I still perform it's just live on stage in front of usually business executives fantastic that's my yeah. fun story absolutely what a what a what a life story um and something that a lot of people would aspire to to be able to even just be on a set and see how that all happens and everything so can you mention maybe a few of the the credits that you've you've had and that people might know or not know yeah, you know, I'd love to say I was in Cardinal or something made by you, but, you know, all the shows I was on were made either in the U.S. or in Canada. 
in right. the heat of the night, Murder, She Wrote, Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, Walker, Texas Ranger. Wow. Um, I've done movies with um, Fair Fawcett, a movie called Small Sacrifices. I've done several low-budget films. Yep. You know, but things, I'm not real big, famous. It's amazing how the movie business is really a pyramid, and most of the time we see the Russell Crowe's at the top of the pyramid, but there's mm. a whole lot of people further down at the base that mm. work in the industry every day, work really hard, and you never hear of them. And I suppose since I was actually in the movie, there's my name's in the credits. I've even been a co-star of a television show, so I may be a little bit more known than other people. You know, the TV shows I worked on, for example, had 120 people on the crew. Wow. And, you know, five of us or 10 of us have their names in the credits. The yeah. other 110 people worked harder than we did. Most of them got paid less than we did, but they're the ones mm. who are really making the movie. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting how that works. And, yeah, not, not always – the credit's not always given to where it's due. And, you know, I guess uh, right. we see that all over the place really in, in different areas but uh yeah certainly some some interesting uh experiences i'm sure you've you've had across all those different roles and tv shows and movies and is there a particular uh experience or acting part that stands out for you as in being the most memorable or most enjoyable like what, what springs to mind i don't think your show is long enough for me to go through all of them but let me give you an example <laughs> sure i'll give you two examples one is as a teenager uh, probably even younger than that, I watched a TV show called The Beverly Hillbillies. Oh, yeah. Yep. Now, this may be before of your time. Yes. <laughs> you maybe have seen them in reruns. <laughs> but uh, the guy who played Jethro, his name was Max Bear Jr. So I grew up watching Max Jethro on Beverly Hillbillies. I'm actually cast in a, in a TV show called Murder, She Wrote. Yep. And the other guest star of the episode is Max Bear Jr. Ah. So I got to actually act with Max in a scene and a dog. There was a dog in the scene too, but it was Max and I in a scene together, which was cool. really cool. And then we went out to dinner afterwards. It's like, ah, and people are paying me for this. Yeah, well. The other, the other example that's really cool uh, is I also grew up as a teenager watching a TV show called Three's Company. Mm -hmm. And if you remember the show, there was, you know, the, the, the blonde, uh, Suzanne Summers, but the dark-haired gal, uh, her name is Joyce DeWitt. I happen to be at a at a director's weekend, uh, so the, you know there's 30 directors sitting in a big circle. I kind of tuned out, but I hear Joyce's voice, mm. and she has a very distinct voice. Right. Within a few hours, we were fast friends. Fantastic. I, yeah. I, I got a call from a friend of mine who was uh, directing a, a made-for-TV movie. And I asked him, I go, hey, Chuck, who did you, did you get anybody to play the, the school teacher yet? He said, no, who did you have in mind? I said, what do you think about Joyce DeWitt? And he said, that'd be great. Do you think we can get her? And I said, I don't know. Let me ask her. Hey, Joyce, do you want to be in my movie? <laughs> so, you know, she gets on the phone with Chuck, the director. They have a conversation. Chuck calls her agent. The agent calls her. The agent goes, hey, I just got you a movie. And she said, no, you didn't. Bob did. <laughs> now, three weeks later, her and I, and of course, everybody else are in San Diego filming this TV movie. Wow. So again, another another gal that I had a crush on as a teenager, I'm suddenly <laughs> in a movie with her. Now, she and I never had a scene together, right. but at least we were both in town at the same time. And yep. again, working with somebody that I grew up watching on TV. That's I mean, very this cool. This is just amazing stuff. Yeah. 
absolutely and uh yeah like not not a bad way to to make a few bucks and and yeah this is this yeah. is the thing we all grow up you know watching tvs shows and movies and be how cool would it be to meet that person and actually work with right. them so being able to do something that very few people get to actually do you know that's that's really yeah that's really commendable and um yeah. and yeah like you said i'm sure there's plenty more stories we could have a whole episode oh, on those yeah. but that's given us a good uh, a good taste of uh what you've done and yeah. And um, yeah, and and now you've moved into sort of the public speaking sort of arena. Yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah, and a couple of topics that you speak about, or like the certain certain audiences you might speak yeah. to. I mostly speak on the intersection of innovation and strategy. Right. Yeah. So I spend a lot of time talking about innovation, but you can't talk about innovation without a strategy to actually implement it. So mm. this is maybe for your audience boring business topics. But it's fun, it's exciting to talk about, you know, uh, Fleming Hot Cheetos and Reese's Peanut Butter Cups and all these other fun innovations. Yep. So that's what I spend a lot of my time doing. Every once in a while, people actually have me come in and talk about presentation skills. Yep. So that's where I go back on my acting chops. Like, okay, this is how you would, you know, act in a scene. So this is how you actually make a presentation. Right. We get kind of nerdy and talk about story structure. Yep. As a professional speaker, you want to tell good stories. So how do you become a storyteller? Uh, so I get to like rekindle the old days of, of my uh, filmmaking days. Very cool. Very cool. So like it's, yeah. You, yeah, kind of interwoven with your background and all that. And it would, yeah, really make the speaking events quite, quite, I'm sure you've got some funny stories there and then uh, makes it, yeah, really interesting and relatable for people. And, and I mean, for myself, innovation and strategy, I'm really into that kind of stuff. So if it was just about that, that would be fine as well, I think. Because <laughs> like I'm, yeah. I'm all about, you know, how can I take this idea and make it happen and all that. So that's really cool. Yeah. Fantastic. So well, it comes um, down to, I've just have, I've just never grown up. <laughs> I get to play with, with inventions and play with innovation and play with cool things. Yep. Uh, I often use post-it notes and, and markers. I get to talk about movies and stories. Yeah. I'm just an old kid. Yep, absolutely. And they say men never grow up, and it's true. Like, we don't. We don't really do it. <laughs> we all like our <laughs> toys and talking about these fun things and, yeah, keeping each day fun and enjoyable. So, yeah, it sounds great. Right. And, uh, well, it's great to have you on, Bob. And uh, I know the films you've chosen uh, are all quite diverse and interesting and, and yeah. they're iconic and people might know the majority of them some of them might not have known or heard of some of them depending on their age so we have a really you know diverse audience here different age groups different uh, genres uh, of movie watchers uh, but the great thing about this show is each guest comes on and brings a different perspective on a, on a yeah. film that might mm -hmm. be well known or might not be well known and we're exploring lots of different genres so uh, for anyone who is if this is your first time here make sure you go back and watch the other episodes yeah, and you'll see lots of different diverse films here and Bob's films are no different. Yeah. So um, let's get stuck into it then, Bob. So I'd, I'd be really keen to hear firstly about what you would consider to be your your all-time favourite film, or at least one of your all-time favourite films. Uh, it's always oh, a tough choice easy. for people, but I know when we connected, you were very clear on what that film was for oh, you. Uh, so yeah, Without a doubt. Tell us all about it. <laughs> so for, from my perspective, this is my opinion, the best movie ever made, uh, directed by the best director who ever lived and starring the best actor that ever lived are all in the same movie called Seven Samurai.
Brilliant. So Summer Samurai, in my opinion, is the best movie ever made. Absolutely. The star of the movie is a, a, a gentleman named Toshiro Mifune, who, again, in my opinion, was the best actor who's ever lived. And the director is Akira Kurosawa, again, the best director who's ever lived. So to me, there's no equivocation, no yeah. debate. From my perspective, the best in all three of those categories. Absolutely. And having just watched it for the first time myself in preparation for this uh, conversation, I was I was really just blown away by it. And and considering the the time where it came from, uh, having not watched uh, Japanese films or not many Japanese films myself, but yeah, it was just it exceeded everything I thought it was going to be, and just yeah, it was it was incredible. So, I guess for some of our viewers who may not be familiar with this film, can you tell us a little bit about it and what the what the sort of general setup is? I will, but I need to ask you a question first, Brian. Sure. <laughs> did you read the subtitles or not? I did. Ah, uh, yeah, I suggested you watch it the first time without even reading the subtitles. I think <laughs> you would have gotten the story even without the subtitles. Oh, yeah. So absolutely. if you haven't yet seen it, the movie is set in the feudal Japan era when there were samurai, mm. hence the name Seven Samurai. The, the gist of the story is there is a collection of, they're not really samurai, let's be a little technical. A samurai actually works for a... A, a warlord, but these were all unemployed samurai. So technically, they're ronin. Mm. So they are they are they have no masters. They're going through the countryside, and a farmer asks them to do their farm a favor and help protect the farm against bandits. Yep. So the story progresses as these two main samurai start to meet other unemployed samurai, the ronin, and they get together six of them, and then they meet another guy who claims to be a samurai, but he really isn't. He's actually the son of a farmer, but he aspires to be a samurai. Yep. And it becomes a very important part, uh, part of the story. Yes. So these seven guys, hence the name Seven Samurai, mm -hmm. go to this village. They don't get paid anything. They get fed a little bit of rice. Uh, they protect the village from the bandits. Yep. And along the way, the villagers tend to better understand the samurai the samurai now since they're protecting the village they become samurai again the samurai better understand the villagers who in feudal japan were considered a lower class they the samurai ultimately defeat the bandits some of the samurai die and then the samurai are again unemployed so they are ronin again they're masterless mm. and they move on yep. and the villagers are now happy and the, you know their yeah. village is protected and they have their lives back yes Yes. Seems yeah. pretty simple, doesn't it? It is. And, you know, quite often the best stories are simple, um, but it's it's yeah. how they're told and how they're filmed. And, and like you said, yeah. this film was directed exceptionally well and you feel like you're right there in, in the village. You know, you're there with these samurai, yeah. like the, the way the scenes are, are shot and set. It's like you're, you're kind of sitting in the room with them. And, uh, yeah, I was just I was just really engrossed really from start to finish. And, um, and, and can you recall how you know, when and how you first saw this film and, and how did it come into your life? Yeah, so the, the film was made in 1956. I wasn't born until 1960, or it was released in 1956. So I, I wasn't a first release. And of course, I hadn't been into Japan at that time either. I wasn't to Japan until years later. Mm -hmm. It was because I got involved in the movie industry 
Mm. And as an actor, aspiring director, I did direct some things. You, you, okay. You always talk with your peers, your colleagues about what can you pay a homage to? What can you steal from? Yep. What is really good that you can learn from? And everyone kept talking about this film. And I finally said, okay, I'm going to go watch it. Mm. I believe the first time I saw it was on a Criterion laser disc. Again, some of your, your viewers won't even know what this is. Nope. <laughs> but years ago, even before DVD, if you wanted something that was really high quality images, you got this 12 inch platter that looks like an LP and you played it on a laser disc player. Yeah. yeah. And there was commentary. Yes. But those those discs probably cost I think they were a hundred dollars a piece. Oh yeah. So they were cheap. really expensive yeah, yeah. compared to everything else. But that but you could also start and stop it. And I watched the movie many times. I probably saw it ten times before I saw it in the theater. Wow. Because you know, by the time I'm looking for it, it hadn't been in the theater in mm. I don't know, probably twenty years. Right. Right. Now course since i've seen it on laser disc it's been in the theater again and i and I, as soon as i if it comes out in the theater i go watch it even though i've seen it probably 30 40 times wow it, the movie is just that good definitely definitely and it's yeah. three hours long so imagine how, how much time i've spent just watching this same movie <laughs> over and <laughs> over it. but yeah but it's i really like it, it so much yeah yeah it's a masterclass it, it in is. many ways and, and and it is a long film and and i appreciated that at roughly halfway through it, it has an intermission where the word intermission comes on the screen and it plays music for about five minutes. And it was, I was just about to pause it at that point to go and make a coffee. And then the intermission came up and, and then I Googled how long is the intermission? And it says it goes for five minutes. I'm like, perfect. Went downstairs, made a coffee, came back and then it, the movie just continued. And then, um, yeah, it just really accelerated uh, in terms of the stakes really increased after the intermission I found as they were, preparing for this epic battle um against the bandits yep. yeah and um, so let's get into the movie yes. in a minute but yep. i like to set another part of the stage okay go for at it. the time at the time in japan a typical feature-length film had a budget of about a million and a half dollars us i apologize i can't convert to all the other currencies but that was the typical budget for a feature-length film in japan in the mid-50s the budget for Seven Samurai was only $500,000. Gosh, that's like nothing. So isn't they it? made that film on one third of the typical budget for feature films. And this was an epic film. It wasn't just, you know, a couple guys in a bar. We've seen a lot of those movies. This was <laughs> big expanses, big mm. battle scenes, a lot of people involved. Uh, mm. Filmed, I think, over the course of about 40 some days. So it was a big deal. Yeah. And Kurosawa did it on a third of the regular budget. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And uh, obviously way ahead of his time and, and obviously yeah. very influential on uh, American films after that. And um, I think you mentioned yeah. to me in a previous conversation that the classic Western film, The Magnificent Seven, is essentially a reworking of Seven Samurai. Is that correct? Or... Yes. Yeah. Uh, so the, there's a producer named Arthur Sarkissian. He paid $250 to buy the rights to the script for Seven Samurai. And he remade it as Magnificent Seven. Mm. And from my perspective, that movie is a piece of crap compared to <laughs> the original. Right, right. Well, I haven't now, seen Magnificent recently, Seven yet, but I'll proceed with caution then. <laughs> well, don't bother. 
Okay. Uh, recently, <laughs> the remake was remade uh, with Denzel Washington, and the only reason that movie's good at all is because Denzel Washington's in it. Oh, uh, that's but right. I remember they, that. It, it just it doesn't have the same story. They they were mm. very superficial mm -hmm. in the story. The original has so much depth to it. That's what makes it such a great film. Yeah. But instead, they just took a couple battle scenes and said, okay, this is what's going on. Yeah. Let's get a bunch of gunfighters. Yep. It's just not the same. <laughs> it's not the same. You know, like, yeah, it's, the there's a difference between uh, paying respect to a, a story or a formula and then trying to basically emulate it. And you, you can't emulate films like that. You know, like it's it's best to be just left alone and, and you know, let it yeah. let it inspire you, I guess, as a filmmaker and a director, but to try and, you know, reinvent it or change it it just you know you're not i don't think they're doing themselves any favors really uh which is probably why it didn't turn out so great um but what i Let's found interesting quick left... i like to take a quick left turn okay you may have heard of a of a series of movies called star wars uh yeah yeah <laughs> okay so the the first star wars episode was it episode four the first yes. star wars episode is actually based on another Kurosawa film called Hidden Fortress. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yep. And George Lucas admits yeah. that he absolutely was a homage on Hidden Fortress. Mm. It's really what Star Wars is based on. Interesting. Okay. So, so here's a guy who took uh, a good film. It was good. It wasn't great. Hidden Fortress is good. So Lucas takes a good Kurosawa film and pays real homage to it and mm. makes an entire franchise out of doing it justice. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because we've, we've spoken about Star Wars on this podcast before, and I think it came up in conversation that um, Star Wars also uses the formula established in The Lord of the Rings uh, by J.R. Tolkien, which was obviously published as a novel in the 50s, I believe, and really kind of... Um, created the art of the trilogy and the hero's journey and all of that sort of stuff and then star wars a lot of people say is like lord of the rings in space and then eventually we saw the lord of the rings films in, in 2001 yeah. and, and that was like the star wars of that generation and yeah it's a, a lot of those familiar arcs and storytelling techniques and you see them across lots of different movies don't you depending how nerdy you want to get there's a guy <laughs> named george's Polty who in the um, late 1800s, if I remember correctly, published a book called The 36 Dramatic Stories. Okay. His argument was there's only 36 stories. Mm. And every time we tell a story, it is just some version of those 36 stories. 36, you mentioned okay. Hero's Journey. Well, that's Joseph Campbell, 1949, if I remember correctly. Mm. Maybe it's 48, mm. 48, 49. Hero of a Thousand Faces, that's where the term hero's journey comes from that's right so everybody's yeah. using essentially the same source material yep you know boy meets girl boy loses girl whatever yep. but it's the way they tell it that makes the difference mm, you can right. tell the same basic story but that doesn't mean you're going to have a classic epic film like seven samurai or you know you talk about wizard of oz 1939 and it's you know i don't know what it's by you but in the states it's every thanksgiving it's on television yeah, yeah so the movie's been running for 80 some years still going strong isn't it yeah <laughs> talk about a classic film yeah. but it's you know it's a it's a 
on its very basic level, it's just, you know, a gal who accidentally kills somebody and meets a bunch of strangers to kill again. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. No. Well, okay, that is what Wizard of Oz is about, but that's yeah. not what they publicized. <laughs> no, of course not. But that that's that's the kind of the what's beneath all the but layers. that's the storyline. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fascinating, isn't it? Like the more movies you watch yeah. and the more you talk about it, you see these patterns and then you can go and watch other films and, and see it show up there again and, and it's like oh now i get it and this is why so many of these films are so appealing and stand the test of time you know like seven samurai because it sort of it captures that those storytelling uh frameworks that that speak to us you know and and uh yeah this film like you said it's got so much depth to it each of the samurais is a well-established character with their own story and agenda and and yeah. all the stuff going on and how it all comes together at the end in this rousing battle scene which was oh that just blew my mind like with the the horses running through and the the rain and eventually the the mud right. coming up and they're still fighting and it's just you can't take your eyes off the screen it was just so well done yeah i was yeah, unlike most impressed. other battle movies mm. it's not it's not clean it's not nice it's a real dirty down drag out battle well, let's get into the movie I love the share. I love talking about this film. Absolutely. About why I think it's so good. Yes, that was my next you, question. Go for it. Yeah. Okay, you, you, you mentioned the hero's journey. The typical hero's journey is you have this reluctant hero who has a call to action. He doesn't want to do it, or she doesn't want to do it, but she's called into action, uh, goes through a bunch of trials, and eventually ends up on top. If you would draw it out linearly, there mm. would be what looks like a roller coaster in a straight line. You start at the bottom, you have all these troubles, you go, you get higher, you get yeah. the aha moment, and life is good. If you draw out the same thing for Seven Samurai, you would have to draw it in a circle. Mm. In the beginning of the movie, you have a couple of unemployed samurai, the Ronin. So they're homeless, they don't have a job. At the end of the movie, the same two now Ronin again no longer have a job mm. they're homeless yes the movie starts and ends in the same place yep depending on which version you saw there's different translations of the line but i believe the line is something like again we win again we lose yes they won the battle against the bandit mm -hmm. but they're again masterless and homeless yes so the peasants were the place. true winners weren't they yeah yeah yeah. So it's it's a circular construction. It builds, it builds, it builds, but they end up back in the same place where most movies are linear. Seven Samurai is circular, and mm. that to me is one of the best things about it. If you're if you geek out on stories like I do, yep. it is great in that. Okay, here we are. Now there's a whole bunch of other themes. The samurai class were the higher class. The farmers were the lower class, yep. and they didn't get along. But throughout the throughout the film, they got to understand each other. Mm, mm -hmm. And the way they got to understand each other is because of the uh, Kikuchio character, the Jishiro Mifune character. He he is a farmer, but he aspires to be a samurai. Yep. And he was able to understand and empathize with both, so he brought them together. Yes. So there's a lot of commentary that that film makes. Yeah. It, it's not necessarily supposed to be an educational film, but there's a lot to it. Oh yeah. That you walk away, you feel something. Mm. One of my criteria for being an actor, and especially for watching film, is I want to meet people I haven't met before. 
I don't want to see the same two-dimensional flat villain that we see in every one of these villain movies. We, you examine the characters, all the characters within Seven Samurai, they're all three-dimensional. Oh, they're absolutely. people that I've never met before. You've probably never met them before. So we're gaining insight into the human condition. And isn't that one of the reasons why we watch film? Absolutely. It's, it's really the, the main reason is to identify ourselves within the characters or learn about people we don't understand through the characters. I think that's yeah. what draws us to movies. Yeah. So you, you really hit the nail on the head there. And, and what surprised me about Seven Samurai was, you know, the way the samurais were portrayed. Like you said, they're not samurais that serve a master. They're basically like, drifters or ronin as you said and yeah. kind of going yeah, from yeah. place to place and it's like they get offered this um this mission i suppose or this or this job and they just they mm -hmm. take it and they fully immerse themselves in this village and the people and and what surprised me was like how they were they were quite funny these guys you know like they would they would crack jokes they would laugh at each other uh you know like after they killed a guy they would sort of look at each other like all like yeah good job yeah <laughs> like I was really, I really liked that side of it, how they seemed to be sort of in relishing in what was going on, but also taking it very seriously as well and making it about protecting this village and bringing peace back to the village. Um, so, yeah, very three-dimensional characters. Yeah. You remember the fight scene early on where the samurai refuses to kill the guy who spit at him? Yes, yes. Yeah. So you yeah. want to talk about honor. Yes, yeah, it's like, hey, everybody knows that I won. There's no reason for me to actually have to kill you. Yeah. Everybody knows that I won. And mm -hmm. now that you spit at me, um, mm -hmm. I, I'm mad. And that alone says I'm not going to kill you because I wouldn't do this just because I'm mad. I would only do it if it was honorable. Mm, that's so right. You walk away with, okay, here's a definition of honor. Where do you see that? Yeah, you don't. I mean, these are These are real people that give us the direction of how we should be living our lives. That's right. Not that that's why we always go to film, but it's nice to have something positive and refreshing about somebody who, you know, 10 minutes later is going to brutally kill 27 bandits. Yeah. But then because that was still the, the honorable job. thing to do. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. The, the honor and all of that. And there's so many lessons in this film. Like you, yeah. when they arrive at the village and they're sort of surveying the village and planning out how they're going to defend it and where all the entry points are. And it's like, you know, it made me think of the the book, The Art of War. And it's like, you know, even though that I believe yeah. is a Chinese um, book originally, um, if I'm mistaken. And, and about a thousand years earlier. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. you could see how yeah. there was elements there of warfare and planning and strategy happening. And, uh, and then at the end of the day, it was just like, it became this crazy frenetic battle. And you could see those last few bandits who were like, at first they were like, leading the charge and then the last few standing it was just like it was survival you know and it was because it got down to those last few you know and they were selfish and greedy that's why yeah. they lost and that's why the samurai won so i thought that was a great reflection of the the power of the samurai philosophy and and how yeah that that's what saved the people obviously not every samurai made it to the end but <laughs> but the right. you know, the the few that were left Sorry, i end, gave it yeah. away <laughs> yeah yeah, uh, and, and even the farmers mistreated the samurai. They did, yes. Yeah. Yeah. They they hid their daughters and they hid their food. Yeah. 
That's right. Yeah, the samurai so were honorable, so they did what they said they were going to do, even though they were being mistreated by the lower class. Mm, so we see a lot of examples. Yep. Yeah, that's right. It's it's kind of like the lower class putting the samurai up on this pedestal, like you have to come and save us. But once they were there, it was like, you're not, we're now going to just sort of take you for granted and, and use you for our own yeah. survival. But they were able to rally up some of the villagers, mostly the men to actually join in on the fighting. Um, yeah. And, you know, they did pretty well. Uh, <laughs> they, they got a few points on the board. So, <clears throat> yeah, um, just so much to talk about with this film. Like I'm still, yeah. my mind is just swimming with with things and, you know, we could, we could talk about it forever, but with two other films we want to talk about as well. Let's just lastly on the well, let, let, Seven Samurai. Anything? Yes, but let's talk about Tashiro Mifune, the, okay. the star actor of, of the film. Go for it. Yeah. So <laughs> Mifune, at one point, maybe you remember the scene, he runs through a field and he dives through a split rail fence. Mm -hmm. Remember that? Yes. So vaguely, yes. <laughs> imagine you're. He, he was almost six foot tall. He was very tall for Japanese. Imagine running through a field and just flowing like water through a fence. Most people mm. would have to stop and bend down and, you know, I know I would or maybe jump over it, whatever, but it wouldn't be a fluid motion. And here's this guy who just like flows through this fence as he's running. Mm. He never breaks the character. This is why I recommended you watch the film without reading the subtitles. Because yeah. I think everything you need to know, they express it. You don't even have to see the words to understand what's going on. Yeah. And here's this guy who starts as a farmer's son and ends up being probably the most honorable samurai of the team. So his personal journey over the couple hours of the film is immense, which is another reason we watch film is so we can mm. see the journey people go through. And this, this one particular guy, the hero, goes through a great journey, and he's just so expressive. The reason I think he's the best actor who's ever lived is I've probably seen, I don't know, 12 or 14 movies he's been in. Okay. And he, he plays this honorable farmer uh, samurai in one film. Then the next film, he plays a drunken uh, modern-day police detective. Oh, interesting. Completely yeah. different character, same actor, completely different character, just reinforces how wonderful of an actor he is. Wow. You know, you watch people like I mentioned Denzel Washington, who I think is a fabulous actor, mm. but Denzel's Denzel. You know he's Denzel. Yes. He may play a really tough guy in, in um, um, yeah, the movie that just came out. Oh, the equalizer. Uh, the equalizer. Equal yep. So he plays a really tough guy in equalizer, but he's still Denzel. Yes. Yes. He plays the you know the blind guy in uh, Jeremiah's whatever. Right now I can't remember the name of the films, but it's still Denzel. You look at Tashir Mafuni, and you have to you have to think hard to go. That's Mafuni, isn't it? Because mm. he's just so good at embodying you yes. know, uh, the characters. Yeah. All right. You want to move on? What What else you want to talk about? Oh, well, like, yeah, like I said, I mean, there's so much to unpack about Seven Samurai and uh, I think yes. your passion for it just is coming off the screen. And I think, and it's it's definitely a film I'm very grateful for having the opportunity to watch and I will rewatch it several more times and go back and I'll take your advice and watch it without the subtitles. And and now that I sort of know how it goes and where it goes, I can, I can see the character's motivations from a different point of view and everything. So yeah, yeah top top choice and uh everyone watching here i think is 
is uh, if they haven't seen Seven Samurai before, I'm sure they they'll be pretty keen to go watch it now. I just think if you just want to be entertained, it's a great movie. If you want to learn how to make movies, it is a master's degree in filmmaking in one movie. Mm. Just analyze it, take it apart, look at it, look at the story construction, look at the direction. You figure out that you can make a film. Yeah, you've got it. (laughs) Absolutely, you've summarized it perfectly. Yeah, fantastic. Well. For, for your for your next film, if we can roll along, uh, Bob, and this is obviously yep. something very different. Uh, and the story behind this, as as you'll share with us, I'm I'm sure, is is the first film you saw on your own at the cinema, I believe. So, yep. very profound in that way. So, yeah, let's let's talk about this next film and uh, what is it, and tell us about that first experience of viewing it. So there was a movie released in 1969 called Butch Casting and the Sundance Kid. Raindrops keep falling on my head. Well, that ought to do it. And just like the guy whose feet are too big for his bed. Think you's enough dynamite there, Bush? <laughs> nothing seems to fit. Those. This is a robbery. SOS un robo. Raindrops are falling on my head. They keep falling. Robert Redford, Paul Newman, I think they did a couple movies together. This was their first time they teamed up. Yes. It, it's, it's, it's a bunch of bandits, which is interesting is you could argue this is the other side of Seven Samurai. Yeah. Because here's yeah. a bunch of bandits. Yep. It's not a great film. It's a fun film. It's a love story. It's a shootout. There's some really funny lines in it. But for me, I, was, I think I was nine years old when it came out. Mm-hmm. At the time it was okay to go to the theater at nine years old by yourself. I'm not sure that I would send kids to the movies <laughs> by themselves today. No. But when I was nine, it was, it was acceptable. It was done anyway. Yeah. So I saw the film and I was enamored by all of this stuff up on the screen. Yeah. There was some kissing in it. That was okay. Mm-hmm. But you know, there were shootouts and there were horses and there were funny people in it. Yep. So I probably saw Butch Cassidy, I think seven times in the theater. Wow. Uh, by the time I was between nine and 12 years old. Right. right. So that's really what got me really enamored about film. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. And, and uh, can I ask, did your parents allow you to go on your own or did you sneak away and go see it on your own? What what was the sort of story there? The best I can remember, I'm the youngest of four kids. And by the time my parents had me, I think they were, they were just done being parents. (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah. if you look at family album there's a whole bunch of pictures of my oldest brother yep. and my second oldest brother there's some pictures mm-hmm. uh, my next older brother there's a few pictures there's one or two pictures of me because you know they were done already yeah so i, I, I mostly relate. did what i wanted i can relate i'm one of five i've got three sisters above me then it's me and then a younger okay. sister and my younger sister and i were very much sort of like out in the backyard all day yeah. came in when it was dark uh, sort of in a lot of ways kind of left to our own devices and yeah, yeah. so i get i get what you mean yeah <laughs> yeah so i just did yeah. it's Off probably why i still have the weird attitude today so i just went <laughs> i mean and the movie probably cost a dollar or something my mother probably gave me money to go hey get out of my hair you know go see the movie sure yeah but fantastic yeah. and so uh was each time you went it was like to the same theater like your local theater in town yeah yeah, yeah i'm sure i walked uh, we we lived about 
don't know if your neighborhood has blocks. Where I grew up, we had blocks. They're about, yeah. I don't know, uh, um, a thousand meters long, right. something like that. Yep. Um, so it was about an eight block walk to the local theater. Wow. And again, it, when I grew up, I don't think you'd let kids do it today. You don't let them out of your sight. But when I grew up, yeah, as a boy, especially if like you want to walk the eight blocks to the mall to go mm. to the theater, it was no big deal. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it was a different. So I, was a I'd different either time. walk. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I probably even rode my bike and didn't bother lock up my bike either. Yeah, didn't have to do that. <laughs> you know, I lived in a not a tiny town, but it was a relatively small town. Mm. Uh, you know, today you wouldn't do those things, but you know, we're no. talking about uh, fifty some years it's ago. It's a different world, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and um and and seeing it at such a young age at the cinema like is is there a, a principal memory of of seeing it for the first time or those first few times on you know on the big screen like what was it about that film that just sort of grabbed you the most do you reckon well if you're familiar with the film it's two bank robbers so mm. these are really cool guys they're handsome guys they always have the gals they shoot them up. They never get shot. They do what yeah. they want. They're riding horses. So, you know, what nine, 10 year old boy doesn't like the idea of, you know, playing cops and robbers, but being the robber and getting away with it. Uh, absolutely. It's, a, it's the stuff of, of boyhood dreams, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I suppose if I started watching Mary Poppins or something, I'd have a whole different view of film. But this was, <laughs> you know, this is fun. This is action. This is adrenaline. This is, yeah. hey, really cool. And every it's a while. Uh, and I can't remember the gal's name at the moment, but, but you know, uh, Paul Newman would kiss that gal. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. She's a famous actress. I can't even remember her name, but Paul Newman, I remember. Right. That That's all right. Yeah. I'm sure someone her, can watching this can pop it in the comments below yeah. for us as, as they're watching yeah. it. So. <laughs> her character's name was Out of Place, but I can't remember her real name. Okay. No lovely, lovely gal. Yeah. Okay, but I'm nine. I don't care about kissing the gal. It's the horses and the guns, and you Absolutely. know, let's go running around Bolivia and robbing yeah. banks. Absolutely. <laughs> Was it the first Western film you saw that you can recall? That I remember in of of, of grown-up movies. Yes, <laughs> I think my parents took me to a drive-in when i was younger and i remember the movie i think it had raquel welch in it or something but other than that i watched things on television so yeah there's westerns on tv yep but it wasn't the same as you know tv the viewing angle is here on the film the viewing, viewing angles like this so that you know yeah. people are larger than life not smaller than life they're larger than life big yep. horses big guns big shootouts so everything we just just so large and, and yeah. enamoring and i'm Absolutely. sure i sat either in the front row or very near the front row so things right. are just huge yeah so it's the whole surround experience mm, it just sort of overwhelms and, you doesn't it yeah yeah and, and that may be why people may not be as enamored with movies today because even if you have a you know 100 inch television someone in a close-up is maybe still just life-size mm. But when you're when I grew up, the movie screens were probably 12 foot high and 20 feet wide. Yeah. So, you know, you do a bang and close up. These people are larger than life. It, it takes yeah. over your whole world. Absolutely. Not just this little slice of it. For sure. Yeah. And, and, and something that's lost today in today's, you know, streaming and watching films on phones and iPads and laptops. And it's right. it's convenient. Sure. But there's, there's still nothing better than going into a cinema 
in a dark cinema, the big screen, yeah. and just being overwhelmed by this story and get drawn into the world. And I, I think you can't beat that, you know. And it's it's it was as true then as it is now, right? Um, you know, and it's if the right if it's the right movie, it'll pull people back into the cinema. But it does have a bit of a, a tough battle on its hands these days, competing with streaming and TV and phone and all, phones and all that stuff. But for me personally, and I'm sure you're the same, you... it's about getting back to the theater, isn't it? Let me give you a comparison. In I, it may have been 2001, my nephew graduated high school. So I flew to see his graduation. So he's right. a teenager. Yep. And he wanted to go see some dumb kung fu movie called <laughs> Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Okay. Yeah. Now, I hadn't seen it. Didn't know anything about it. It had just come out. So I said, hey, you want to go to the movies? I love the movies. Let's go to a real movie theater. Yep. So we went to a movie theater in his town and there was probably, I don't know, three or 400 teenagers in this movie theater wow. watching this Kung Fu ballet. Hopefully you've seen Crouching Tiger. I have, yes. It, it was so captivating, but when you gasp, it wasn't just you gasping, it was 300 other teenagers gasping. Yeah, yeah. That, that enhanced the experience. Mm -hmm. I knew that movie was going to be a smash hit yep. when 300, whatever it was, teenagers kept their mouths shut and watched the film. Yep. That's if it could keep yeah. them quiet during a film, yeah. I knew it was going to be a smash hit. And that's another film that I've probably seen I don't know, six or seven times because, again, it's a brilliant filmmaking. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And was definitely got the acknowledgement it deserved when it came out. I think it was nominated for a bunch of oscars and one best foreign yeah. film and yeah it's, it's brilliant and um, yeah. um and i'm i was curious to ask uh with your background in film and television coming back to butch cassidy would you say that sort of planted the seeds in your mind to become yeah, an actor absolutely yeah absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. so would you say there was an experience that... was there an acting experience for you that was was close to that viewing experience like did you do like a western or a, a shootout scene yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm never I was never that good I, I played a hitman so I had fun you know pushing people around I, I, I was in an episode of Swamp Thing the TV series oh, right. and I was the I was the bodyguard for a drug lord uh, so all dressed up uh, and some gal tried to attack the drug lord so I took my hand and pushed her but oh. she, she was on a harness hi that's my daughter, she, yes. your, your daughter just walked in uh, so the actress was on a harness, so I gave her a little push, and she flew across the set. So those are fun things to do as an actor. Yep. But, uh, you know, I, I admit I'm not the star material. I didn't do any of the big epics. I had fun. I was yep. in decent shows, but, yep. yeah. Hey, well, you know, you did your part. Like you said, every, everyone on the set and the film right. plays a crucial crucial part. And, uh you know, I'm I'm now uh, having a little project is to go and find all these shows you're in and, and watch them and be like, hey, there's Bob, I know Bob, <laughs> and uh, sh sh you know, show that off to my friends and stuff. So I think they'll be quite impressed. Yeah, um, you know, my my wife was an extra in a TV show that I was the co-star of. Oh right. So my wife was out for the weekend in LA, so the director put her in the show. Uh, so all our friends came over to watch the show. Now, my wife's on for maybe 10 seconds walking across the street in the TV show. Everyone's cheering for her. And when she was done, they all got up to leave. I go, where are you going? I'm the co-star of the show. They go, oh, we've seen you a bunch of times. Who cares? <laughs> she stole your thunder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and is that how you met? Right, so you, 
No, no, no. Uh, we met years before that. Just right. I was hired to film for a week. Typically, TV shows, hour-long dramatic TV shows, uh, film for somewhere between seven and eight days. Right. So if I'm cast, I'm often there for somewhere between four and eight days. Right. Uh, so I think I was supposed to film Monday through Friday. Uh, the director was a friend of mine, and he said, well, you know, bring your wife along. We hung out together for the weekend. Nice. And I think we were at dinner Sunday night, and the director said, well, you know, if you stay for tomorrow, we'll put you in the show. You'll just be an extra. You'll just walk in the background, but at least you'll be in the show. So she said, sure, why not? Excellent. So, you know, they dressed her up. This was a, this was a period piece was set in the 1870s. Oh. So they put in a hoop skirt and the whole thing, all the makeup. Yeah. So, you know, there she was. The star goes this way. She walks this way. Yay. <laughs> what Ten a positive, seconds, yeah. maybe. That's cool. But it was a, very a big positive deal experience. for her. Yeah. Yeah. Positive experience. For but her. nobody cared about watching me again because they've seen me before. <laughs> ah, who cares about you? You're part of the furniture by this point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, um, classic, well-known film. But like you said, it was more about your experience of going to the movies, seeing these larger-than-life characters on the big screen and seeing it on your own. And and uh, I remember seeing the first film I saw on my own was actually the remake of Psycho. Because Psycho, the original, is my favourite film of all time. And out of obligation, I went and saw the remake, which was terrible. Um, no one else wanted to go and see it. So I, offer, I went and saw it by myself. I was like, um, I think 16 or something like that. So a little bit older, but these days I quite often go to the movies by myself and, uh, and, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's fine. You know, I tend to watch movies alone and, and, uh, certain films I've seen several times, I think Independence Day from 1996, I saw four or five times at the cinema as well. So yeah, similar kind of experience, just like, wow, this huge epic on a screen and I was just blown away by it, you know? So those, those are the stories, the movies we remember. It's the, the experience of, of seeing it, isn't it? Yeah. So Can you but... imagine seeing the mothership on independence day on a little phone, oh, the mothership's about this big. No. Like, well, let's just knock it out of the way. What kind What's of a threat point? is that? What's the point? Absolutely. <laughs> What's the point? Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, well, well, you know, this oh, this has been such a great chat, and we do have one more film we need to talk about, but um, not in the way well, that we need might to talk expect. about a part of one more film. That's right. <laughs> so not in the way that people are accustomed to on this episode, which is fine because right. you're the star of the show here. This is your favorite scene from a film. Um, everyone's going to know this film, yeah. but yeah, take it away. You, you might just want to mention the film briefly. I know you want to talk okay. about the the scene itself, so. Uh, what is that film we're going to talk about? So there's a brilliant scene in a terrible film. <laughs> the terrible film is Jaws. There is a creature alive today who has survived millions of years of evolution without change, without passion, and without logic. It lives to kill. A mindless eating machine. It will attack and devour anything. It is as if God created the devil and gave him jaws. I know it's a phenomenon, but it's a terrible film. But there's <laughs> one particular scene, and if you've seen Jaws, you probably know what it is. Mm -hmm. It's the three R's, so Roy Scheider, Robert Shaw, and Richard Dreyfus, 
uh, was it uh, uh, the chief, uh, Quint and Hooper are on the boat on Orca before the shark actually attacks. Yep. And they're they're drinking, they're singing, they're you know they're they're swapping stories, and that's why it's such a good scene because we're finally getting the backstory of these characters. Mm. We have no idea really where they came from. Why is a sheriff who is afraid of the water, the police chief for sheriff, whatever he is, in an island sea? <laughs> so, yeah, you know, something goes on. Way, so here's but, the three uh... guys. You know, they're telling stories about each other. It's, it's funny. Then it gets to be really serious. To me, one of the best parts, again, you have to see in the movie. It's, it's kind of a, a, a small touch. The Roy Scheider character, uh, the chief, he's listening to the Robert Shaw character, Quint, tell the story about the Indianapolis. Yep. And then about Richard Dreyfus telling Hooper, telling a story about Mary Ellen Moffat. And Roy Scheider just grabs his stomach. You know, there's something, some backstory there, but they never reveal what it was. I, I always assumed he got shot. Mm. And that's why he left being a New York City cop. That yeah. he probably got shot in the stomach, and that's why he left. Yep. But that's he never says line. anything. Yeah. With, with Quint, he tells the story of the Indianapolis, and the story is mostly made up, but it's good for the movie. Uh, Richard Dreyfus tells the story about Marilyn and Moffitt. He points to his chest and goes, here, my big scar is right here. What? He goes, Marilyn and Moffitt, she broke my heart. It's hilarious. <laughs> and then Quick tells the story about the Indianapolis, so all the people went in the water and the shark attacks. Mm. So that's really serious. So that whole scene comes full circle. Yep. So it's funny. It's poignant. It's really deep. It gives you a backstory. And then the shark hits the first time, and that's the end of that scene. Yep. And you go on to the next one. That's right. If yeah. Jaws is on TV and I happen to watch by the TV, if we haven't gotten to that scene yet, I will stop and watch the movie until mm -hmm. that scene is over and mm -hmm. then I'm done. I don't care. Yep. But to me, that <laughs> scene is so well made yep. from a filmmaking standpoint, from an acting standpoint, it's so well made that mm -hmm. I will watch that scene over and over and over. The other hour and a half in the movie, I could care less. Yeah. <laughs> now, fair, fair cool. Fair cool. And, uh, yeah, that that scene, it's sort of the really the most probably the most crucial scene in the film, because it's like these three. It's about these three guys coming together. What's bring brought them together is this shark that's terrorizing this island community, and they're on the boat, and you sort of see how each of them functions in that environment. You know, Quint being sorry Hooper being a marine biologist who's used to being on boats in the waters, just getting drunk and having a great time. Uh, the yep. sheriff is sort of just still standing back. He's not quite sure what to make of these guys. You know, is he is he as manly as them or as smart as them? And then you've got Quint laying down this this story about his encounter with sharks, and you know this is why he hunts sharks now. He's got like this vendetta against all sharks, and it's uh, just the way that right. Robert Shaw tells that story is it's yeah. unforgettable, isn't it? Yeah. So so kind of from like an acting point of view is would you say that's sort of the scene every aspiring actor needs to watch to sort of get the uh, yeah yeah uh robert shaw's performance telling the story of indianapolis you were there in the water with him yes brilliant acting mm. roy scheider it was brilliant acting without him saying a word 
of just grabbing his stomach. You know, you knew something. The whole backstory was in one hand move holding his stomach, but he didn't even say a word. Again, brilliant acting. And mm. Richard Dreyfus, he was just being a goof. You know, he wasn't there because I mean, he was there interesting from the science standpoint. Yep. Roy Scheider character was there. He's afraid of the water, but he it, it's his honor, his duty to be there. Mm. But from a, a, a filmmaking and acting standpoint, all three of them, completely different characters, completely different styles. It was just brilliant acting, brilliant mm. scenes. Yep. From my perspective, I don't know. I've never met Spielberg, but I would bet uh, that uh, the movie was allowed to continue, even though they were way over budget. They were six months behind yeah. <laughs> because somebody saw that scene and said, if this is what you're going to deliver to us, then uh, yep. keep going. Absolutely. And, and and it was very much a sample of what was to come for him in in later years as a as a director and being able to replicate performances like that and and scenes like that. And I think I think Jaws was maybe his third film or something like that. He was very early in his career, and obviously was showing some you know considerable talent. He was only like twenty seven or twenty eight, I think, when he made it. So, it really impressive. Yeah. And I can just imagine him being behind the camera, filming this scene and just being like. Oh my God! This this actor Robert Shaw, who I've dreamed of working with, is delivering this scene in in a way I never could have imagined. That just elevated that film because really, Jaws is it's kind of two films in one. It's at first it's about the shark picking people off, and then it's three men versus the shark out at sea, and that's my favorite yeah. part of the film is that second half when they're trying to hunt the shark and and Quint's story really is foreshadowing his his demise in a lot of ways, and then eventually the shark gets him. So it's like, it's kind of very like poetic in that way. It's like yeah. as, as tough as he was and as fearless as he was, eventually that shark got him and pulled him under the water in a very graphic scene uh, as well. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately that that was just so unreal. <laughs> yeah. You know, Richard Dreyfus just hangs out in the water for an hour mm. and doesn't know what's going on and suddenly just comes up and, yep. you know, uh, Quint, no, didn't make it. <laughs> you know, I, I ridicule that movie till the day I die. Yeah. But from yeah. a filmmaking standpoint, they're they're basically in the the uh, saloon of the boat. It's not a very big boat. So just imagine the interplay of where the cameras had to be as they read as they filmed it from different directions, different angles. Yeah. Very tight, constrained space. So I don't know how many days they spent filming that scene, mm. but those actors had to repeat those performances over and over and over. Yeah. So they would feed the person on camera. So the people on, you know, the actor on camera would respond appropriately. Yes. I'm sure that was a very tough scene. Yeah. Uh, some people call it a sequence, very tough scene to film because of the very tight location. Yes. And the, mostly monologues that people were delivering soliloquies i suppose yeah uh, robert charles was soliloquy um yeah it's just very impressive yes but the rest of the movie just is junk <laughs> yeah. and look at, it's not for everyone i, I get that you know right. I, I can see your perspective absolutely um personally <laughs> i love jaws but you know it's not about me it's about you today um yeah, but yeah. I, I agree with you that scene is just like it's such a standout scene and uh i look forward to when that scene comes up in the film and it's so and it's it's not a showy scene it's not showing off like hey look at this great acting here it just sort of creeps up on you and then by that point you're like god this you're just so drawn into what's going to happen to these three guys you know and uh 
Yeah, like you said, the way that Robert Shaw describes his experience as that character in the water, you feel like, God, just how he talks about it. You can picture yourself being in that water with all those, you know, sailors, and then the sharks come along and it's, oh, God, that's that's like worst-case scenario you can ever imagine right. uh, where you've got no control whatsoever. And, yeah, how he – and it's, it's yeah, it's horrific how he describes it, you know, and it would have been a horrific situation to be in. I can only imagine yeah. – uh, Robert Shaw been. did real acting in that. Imagine if the nightly news, eleven o'clock news, told the story of the Indianapolis. Mm. It would be it would be like you giving a court deposition. Yep. But but uh, Quint Robert Shaw's character, he didn't retell the story. He relived the story. Mm-hmm. And that's why we were right there with him because we were reliving it through him. And that's what made it that much more powerful than say, hey, let me tell you what happened Mm. over here. No, let me give you my first person account of it as we were going through it. That's what made it uh, so so impactful. And then, of course, the Richard Dreyfuss character was just being the goof because he was a goof the entire movie. So he was the comic relief that made the depth of Robert Shaw's storytelling mm. that much more poignant because Richard Dreyfuss's perspective was just the goof that he was. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, the, the low isn't as low unless the high is that much higher. It's, mm. the, it's the gap between the two that really make the difference. You're right. Yeah. So, and and I, you've just reminded me that the lead up to this great scene you're talking about is they're comparing wounds and scars on their body and it's um that that's the whole that's the whole scene that's right it's about five minutes long that's all of it together and that's why that's why roy should have grabbed his stomach because they were comparing wounds and that's why and and i double checked if they ever explain and i don't see any place they've ever explained why he grabbed his stomach but i'm just assuming from the character that he was telling us what happened without actually telling us. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, that whole sequence, the whole scene was just a bunch of guys having fun. Yep. Then it gets uh, way more serious. Yep. We break the tension. So now we're laughing at Hooper and then slam the shark hits. That's right. Yeah. That's so, it's, so well that's done. the roller coaster of storytelling mm. very clearly uh, laid out. But unlike so. Seven Samurai, Shark star, uh, Jaw starts in one place, go, does this roller coaster, and ends. It's not circular. People are different. It's, yep. You know, we didn't really learn anything. We met some new people. Yep. But it's just not yep. the same level of storytelling between those two films. No, definitely not. No, and I guess I guess Jaws's legacy is that it really pioneered the summer blockbuster, where you very much have this yeah. sort of climatic scene at the end, and the, and then it's happy days after that, and. Uh, yeah, and a lot of blockbusters owe the sort of success to that formula. So, yeah, um, but just coming back to that scene again, it's it's uh, it's haunting just listening to that story. And, uh, you know, it can easily find with the power of the internet these days and YouTube, you can jump on and just watch that clip alone. You don't have to sort of watch the whole film. And, uh, yeah, uh, it's it's been great talking about it. And, um, yeah, just your your passion for that scene and and the other two films you've talked about is has really come across bob and it's been it's been fantastic to hear it, uh, from your point of view and hear your stories and your take on these films and you know it's it's great which is what this show is all about and um and just to sort of like uh, wrap up this conversation i mean I, I wish we could go on forever but eventually you know 
<laughs> all good things come to an end. But uh, any other honourable mentions of of movies that you love or that you were maybe thinking of mm. talking about? What what else would you recommend? Um, uh, uh, an American President with, um, uh, yeah, um, you know him. <laughs> ah, I guess my brain's not functioning. Uh, Michael Douglas. Oh yes, plays the, the president. Monkeys. Yes, the American right? president. Yep. So an, another fun movie that has some very interesting parts in it. Uh, one of the things is, uh, you know, Michael Douglas's character tries to make a differentiation between he's the most powerful politician in the world, not not literally the most powerful man in the world. So it kind of gave us this background view of, well, there's a person and there's a politician that happens to be the president and they're really two different people. Yeah. So it's, it's a very fun, uh, very fun movie, very well performed. Yes. Uh, another one that comes to mind is, um, is it the bodyguard with, with, um, oh, Kevin Costner and Kevin Costner. Thank Whitney you. Houston. Houston. Yeah, that's a good one. Another very interesting story arc. We get to know, the Kevin Costner character as a uh, Secret Service agent, mm -hmm. um, you know, his he the only reason he wasn't there to stop Reagan getting shot because he was at his mother's funeral. You know, we're getting this really interesting backstory. Mm. Uh, he's fighting against the odds. He, you know, everybody's laughing at him until they really need him, and then suddenly, you know, he's the hero. Yeah. So these are just again, I you know, I said this earlier, and then as I watch movies, because I want to meet people I haven't met before, mm -hmm. and, you know, things like uh, the American president, uh, the bodyguard, these are examples of people we have not met before, mm. and we get to spend time with them, getting insight into who they are, and that's what makes movies just so captivating, that we want to spend time with them. That's right. Even if we yeah. don't like them, even the bad villains, you know, you look at the Batman movies with the with the the villains are also interesting. They're not flat characters. They're three-dimensional. They just happen to be villains. Mm. They just don't see themselves as villains. Yep. So we still get, you know, get to spend time, hang out with them. Maybe we don't want to see them after the end of the movie, but we still are, are meeting new people. Yeah. That to me is why we go to movies, why we watch good television shows is so we can meet people. Uh, I think my favorite uh, Australian show is Cardinal. I, the doctor I thought was a really interesting character. Yep. I'm not sure why they didn't fire him years earlier, but yeah. it was a great example of a character that you want to spend time with him. You want to hang mm. out with him. Yep. You know, what's going on in your world? Yeah, that's a really know, rare, that's a really good perspective to have on films. And it is, and and the more well-developed the character and the better the actor and the smarter the story, the the more of that experience you're going to have, I think, because yeah. there's a lot of films out there with very two-dimensional characters, cliched plots, predictable storylines. It's like, yeah, that's good for switching off maybe to kill a bit of time, um, have on right. in the background. But, you know, movies can have such an impact on you, like, you know, the films you've spoken about, yeah. for sure, that uh, that's, yeah, that's really why we go to the movies. And uh, you can experience that to an extent with television, but that sort of plays by different rules a little bit. I think with with movies, if you can achieve that in a two, three-hour film in, in one go, because yeah. with a movie, you only get one chance to, to tell the story, right? It's not like a TV show that can go on and on and on forever, like Lost or something like that. <laughs> but yeah, I think being able to achieve that in a in a film is is pretty remarkable. So it's a it's a really good way to look at it. Yeah. 
that's my perspective on film. Other people may go, hey, I just want to be fun and escape for a while. And that's great if you get it. There are movies mm -hmm. like that. Beautiful. That's why they make what chocolate, vanilla, and 37 other flavors of ice cream. Yeah, that's right. We're not all the same. <laughs> it's just my take on film and why I got involved and yep. why I watch what I watch. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. And uh, yeah, once again, just your, your passion and enthusiasm for that has been uh, great to see. And it's, you know, resulted in this fantastic conversation we've had. I've really enjoyed it. And uh, yes. yeah, and just sort of my last question to pick your brains a little bit, uh, Bob, is I'd like to ask most guests this question is um, the future of the movies. You know, what would you like to see more of or where do you think movies might be headed? Do you have any thoughts on that? That's a two-part question. What I want to see is character-driven drama like we've been talking about. Mm. But for the most part, that is television these days. And the films are more tentpole, big extravaganza, epic bonanzas, whatever. Yep. The top guns, you know, whatever you need to get people in the seats or get the eyeballs in front of the screen. Yeah. So unfortunately, from my perspective, the character-driven driven drama has become more what a television show can become, uh, where movies are more the action, and they're just not as deep as I would prefer them to be. Yeah. But I'm not the typical moviegoer. Right, yeah. Yeah, but uh, no, I agree with you, and uh, yeah, there's a similar a similar um, uh, point has been made in, in other episodes as well, where we feel like a lot of people agree that movies need to sort of return to their, to their roots a little bit, go back to sort of the basics that made movies what they are in the first place, you know? And uh, yeah, but who knows, you know, it's, sometimes it's a matter of one film will come along and, and change everything, you know, and what make what reminds me of that is in, you know, 1999, which was a great year for movies. You had like the matrix came out of nowhere and changed how movies were made special effects it, it blew us away and like what was possible and that then created this whole like slew of imitations and which weren't very good uh, but it, it changed the trajectory of action and science fiction and special effects films so maybe you know hopefully another film will come along that will just get people like falling in love with movies or being like i didn't know we could do this with movies you know or it might just be it happens over time you know where eventually the audience is kind of getting tired of these things and and sort of the right people are listening and they're like okay we need to go back to what's worked before and and yeah who knows it's but we can always go back to these older movies if nothing new cuts it anymore we yes. can just go back to the old classics uh whenever we want which is the which is the beauty of movies but um that's right yeah well we could talk forever bob um but yeah. <laughs> unfortunately we, we will have to uh wrap it up here but Again, thank you so much for being on my movie story. This has been a real, uh, a real my privilege pleasure. having having your, having yourself on here with your stories and your very good insights into film and filmmaking. And uh, yeah, um, anyone who's watching this, I'm sure, is is very curious to go and check out these films, or, or maybe they'll look at Jaws in a whole different way now, <laughs> like you've described. Uh, so yeah, so yeah. thank you very much for being on my movie story. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.